bald and balding people and welcome back to those bald chicks your favorite alopecia podcast i'm Paige, and i'm here with the wonderful allison mann who is those bald chicks last guest before the end of this podcast she is a licensed psychotherapist who knows a ton of helpful and knowledgeable information in regards to mental health and hair loss she is also the founder of her business and page aid by Allie, which is a safe place for uniqueness She supports and helps empower people through the mental health impacts of hair loss through not only her profession, but also utilizes her social media platform to spread awareness. She is here to go over the mental health aspect of hair loss. Thank you so much for being here, Allie. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I feel honored that I'm the the last one. You're the last one. I know. I thought it was so important, too, to have someone on that knows mental health in a professional sense, you know, so you can kind of give some resources to people that are probably looking for mental health help or whatever it is. So I thought it was super important to have you on. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I mean, I certainly agree with what I do. (laughs) It's important. So yeah, I'm more than happy to be here and talk about it. Awesome. So to get us going, I found a certain blurb on the internet on the interwebs about the psychological impact on people with hair loss. And I've found out that they're just now starting to highlight that part of hair loss. Um, It kind of gets lost when you look at hair loss. People just think, oh, it's just hair. And they don't really think that there's extra stuff that comes with it. So recent research has begun to highlight the psychological impact on people with hair loss as well as the importance of recognizing this condition and providing proper resources such as counseling or therapy. Recognizing signs of mental health struggles in people with alopecia is crucial in understanding the experiences of people with this condition. A study in the Journal of Patient Reported Outcomes sought out to answer this question using an interview that was developed with expert clinician input. They found out that patients with alopecia areata described the initial diagnosis of alopecia as traumatizing, devastating, and terrifying, and that hair loss in areas visible to others were the most psychosocially burdensome. So these findings support the results of previous studies, which have also found that AA to be emotionally devastating and to have a large impact on self-esteem and social confidence. So I feel like you know all about all that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's accurate and I think anyone who's experienced alopecia is like yeah thank you for recognizing that because not often recognized which is the biggest issue and also part of the reason I wanted to be a therapist because growing up I mean the two main factors that I specialize in body image self-esteem eating disorders anxiety is mainly my experience with gymnastics and alopecia and I had this like full spectrum experience of like what body image mental health meant. And I recognize that not everyone viewed it that way. Most specialists or therapists really view body image from like the shoulders and below, (laughs) but there's a lot of interesting shoulders and above, right? Like people think of body image, like their stomach, their arms, their, you know, those things. But I was like, yeah, that's true. But also like my head, my face, my eyelashes, my 
those play a huge part in body image and self-esteem and all these other things. So there's that part. I saw a big gap there. And I also saw a big gap in therapists that looked like me. Yeah. <laughs> Not easy to find. I don't really know many. I do know some who wear wigs, which again, I think is great. I think wigs are amazing. But I think there is, you know, people want to find people who look like them too. People who oh, yeah, the full kind of spectrum. And it's hard to pick out online, like knowing if you can find a therapist who's experienced this, if you can't really directly see it. And I didn't see it no really. So not only is it like something that is so missed everywhere, but it's hard to know how to find help for it. And I think that is the biggest part of the reason like why doctors don't even like upon a diagnosis, they don't even think about like, oh, let me recommend a therapist. Let me recommend the mental health support. Let me recommend a support group. Like yep. it's just thought of as like just hair, just a cosmetic problem, yeah. not a mental health problem. And it's not true. <laughs> and, you know, if there's not therapists or professionals who exist who can maybe attest to it or also speak up about it from a personal and professional place. I think that was also part of the reason it was harder for doctors to know these resources are needed or that yep. not just doctors, really anyone to know. And so that was like a big reason for me to want to do this <laughs> because awesome. I feel like sometimes, unfortunately, it's so hard just to get your personal experience heard until you have like a credential next to your name. And then suddenly people want to listen. Yeah, <laughs> um, no kidding. And so I was like, well, you know, I've always wanted to be in the helping field in some way. And this just made sense to me. And I'm so glad I did it because I love what I do. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That study, that those statistics, I think anyone with lived experience of alopecia can sit here and be like, yep, absolutely. It only took you a million years to recognize that. But yeah. I feel like everyone that has been on the podcast too, when they talk about going to the dermatologist, they always say none of that was brought up going to therapy, that there's a community, that there's more people that have it. It's just, oh, okay, here's the things that we can do to fix it. And you're kind of sitting there stunned, like, what just happened? What? I just got diagnosed with something. And it's kind of like being brushed off, like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just hair. And you're sitting there with your whole world crumbling. Right. And like, you're rapidly, in most cases, rapidly going to see your appearance are changing in the mirror, and they don't provide any sort of support or suggestions of what you're supposed to do when you wake up each morning and start seeing a new version of yourself every right. single day. And, you know, it's, it's kind of mind blowing to me that it's gone this far without dermatologists offering any support way. And unfortunately, right. um, it's still hard because I've reached out to many dermatologists, like, especially in the area that I am licensed in, which is New York for therapy and get no replies. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, which is yeah, bizarre considering like you think like you get to this field, like maybe like people will listen or be like, oh, great. Like we'll have you down so that we have patients that come in that get diagnosed or are looking for to something. push them to you. Have a name, right? right. No, nothing. <laughs> so, you know, I'm certainly that's still something wow. I try to do like every so often. And now that I offer coaching, it can work with people, not just in New York. I try to like every so often, like just send out some emails to the doctors and I've yet to receive a reply. So there's still a lot of work wow. to be done in getting these resources into the office. Cause like, that's where most people are going to be looking for it upon the diagnosis. Yep. It's really hard to search and find things like they're going to be looking to their doctors for referrals or, yep. you know, they always get handed out pamphlets of treatment. Like, why aren't we handing out pamphlets with treatment that also include mental health resources or a separate pamphlet that has mental health resources, right? Like there's absolutely, I really, that's my biggest issue with the new treatments coming out is not 
the treatments themselves is that we are now providing this new option that does not have a huge success rate and yeah. we're not giving any sort of additional support for the process of this treatment right like yeah and i've seen people share their stories now about like trying medication having hair come back and then fall out again and like how devastating it's just traumatic is. all over again right and to like right. having the, these new treatments come out and be pushing them so hard meaning like the doctors and medical people pushing them so hard and not providing any other support along that journey is just it's a bit dangerous in my opinion from the yep. mental health standpoint um 100% it's not, yeah. So there's still certainly like these studies that are coming out are amazing in terms of like psychological impacts of alopecia, because I think that's what doctors need to see to yeah. take it seriously. But yeah. In the meantime, there's still a lot of work to be done for it to actually be taken seriously in the office, yeah. especially with these new treatments happening. Like I, I hope sooner than later, um, there's no movement made with that. Yeah. I was going to say too, going to the dermatologist, I was an adult. So I went by myself. I didn't have anybody to even help me advocate for me or anything like that. And I was terrified. So I didn't want to speak up. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to ask any extra questions. I was just going by what my dermatologist said. I feel like that was also lacking that you're not yourself when you're going through hair loss, especially in the beginning, because you're so confused of what's going on. So I kept quiet. I didn't say, Hey, do you have anything else other than this? Because right. now knowing that I would, I would have been like, do you know anybody that has this or are they in a support group? I would have asked those questions, but because I was so vulnerable, I didn't even want to go and ask the extra questions and advocate for myself. Yeah. And it's an unfortunate because I don't even think we should be the ones to, that it should be an automatic piece of upon a diagnosis of these are treatments. This is emotional support. <laughs> like, right. That should be like the automatic offerings, I believe, after a diagnosis is had. We should not have to say, hey, this is really traumatic for me. Is there anything you can do for that or some a direction you can point me to? I, I think it should just be known upon a diagnosis. This is likely going to be traumatic. I don't think I've ever heard anyone have alopecia say, nope, I felt fine and dandy after that appointment. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's not like they give you options either. They're like, okay, well, you have this, so we can do these shots or you can do topical. And that's about it. And you're mm -hmm. just kind of sitting there like, okay, quickly making a decision. Right. I want to think about this before I did. I didn't. I was just desperate. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll do the most aggressive one to try and grow my hair back. But right. then going in there at the time I wore extensions and I had the smallest bit of hair left. Mm -hmm. And every time I went in there, I had to, while the nurse assistant or the person that comes in first was there, I had to unclip all of my hair extensions, take my beanie off. Like I was, I was that having it, a panic attack every that day. itself is a traumatic experience and like the yeah. pictures they take of you too like yeah. you know, it's just not the the lack of creating a safe space in the doctor's office when it comes to alopecia and I'm sure many other diagnoses as well yeah. uh, obviously for the purposes of what we're talking about for alopecia I cannot I've not talked to really anyone who said that they felt like it was a safe space right. in the office never yeah. Like, I don't think anybody's ever said like, oh yeah. And then I just went home and it was what it was. Like, it was like a thing. It It's part of the trauma of hair loss is it started off with me going to get help. And that help was traumatizing. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's disheartening, you know, to know that most places do that. But 
Uh, a couple of questions for you. Are there any patterns in people with hair loss and mental health struggles? I guess patterns could kind of apply to multiple things. So however you want to read that question, mm-hmm. go for it. <laughs> yeah, lots. <laughs> There's lots of different things that come up. I mean, the main like overarching concerns I would say are often anxiety, body image slash self-esteem and depression, right? And I think it becomes really easy, like the catastrophizing, right? The black and white thinking like goes to the and rightfully so because there's a lot of fears and it's really hard not to do that and so that is often a big a big piece in the beginning grieving I think often people come in and sometimes they're shocked when I say like there's still some grieving that has to be done here but hair loss Mm -hmm. is is a loss and the way it's painted to us by society sometimes we forget that like oh no this is actually a grieving process the way any other loss would be and so that often has to happen as well And like I said, the self-esteem and the body image piece, a lot of, you know, a lot of the women I work with, especially it's this like loss of the fear of losing their femininity, their womanhood, especially certain types of hair loss have different patterns, right? Like the the thin more in the middle and then that has more a ring on the outside. I've had a lot of women like fear that and like, oh, the pattern I have is going to make me look so masculine and and it's going to take away my femininity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that has been, you know, a common theme that's come up as well, depending on like what type of alopecia, you know, they have. Cause I work, you know, I work with people who have all from like androgenetics sort of hair thinning to like universalis mm-hmm. with no hair at all. And so, you know, there definitely is a, a range and some, you know, different nuance and concerns depending on what type of alopecia someone has. But yeah, the overarching things are really the self-esteem, body image, anxiety, social, especially social anxiety yeah. and depression as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've felt all of them. Um, (laughs) You know, what's interesting. A lot of people that have come on that got alopecia as adults have talked quite often about, I wonder how it is for a kid, since you were a kid when you got alopecia, do you think it's easier for a kid to process it growing up? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it could be easier for an adult to process it growing or like getting older with it? Because time and time again, I see people that have gotten it when they were kids Mm -hmm. be so open about it. And so just they persevere. And I've noticed a lot of people that got like me that got it when they were adults have a tougher time are still trying to work through those stages because I think it might be the innocence of being a kid and not really knowing. And then as an adult, you know, all the judgments, you know, what could come your way. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what you think about them. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to compare. They both have their pros and cons. I always say when I was young I like didn't really have a care in the world like I gave speeches about alopecia my mom says that it it, like I bother me to an extent where I would like be upset at people staring and pointing and making comments but overall felt generally pretty positive about it in terms of I had actually like this makes me special and you know (laughs) like that kind of attitude but that changed when I got into middle and high school and I like hated it even in the midst of like very much disliking it because, you know, you know, being a therapist now and knowing, you know, your group identity forms before your individual identity. And so group identity is so important in middle and high school. And when you feel like you're left out or you're like very different, it's hard for you to fit in. That is a big struggle. And so it definitely shifted when I got older. So when I was young, I felt like more carefree attitude, like bothered me a little, but like I was whatever. Um, And then when I got a bit older, that's when it was more of a struggle with, my self-esteem and my own body image and my anxiety, right. so anxiety especially. And so I think 
because of my environment when I was younger, I was so lucky to grow up and like have this sort of foundation of, you know, my family never made it a big deal. I mm-hmm. got to speak about it in my schools. My teachers were great. I think that foundation helped during the hard parts when I got older. And so that's why it's so individualized because you never know it really is. if someone's experience is going to be different or similar to that. And like what environment they had when they were younger or what when they had when they were older. And so I think that all plays into like whether it's harder or easier at what age you lose it it really is yeah. about your environment. your environment the peers they could treat you incredible they could treat you terribly right. I often think about like oh when I got diagnosed I wonder where I would be now with my alopecia journey if I found the community right away because it was many many years mm-hmm. that I had alopecia where I just hid in a shell and I didn't tell anybody didn't know anybody that had alopecia I often wonder like man what would it have been like if I met the whole hair loss community, would I have, I don't know, been in a better standing now? Because I still struggle with so many things with my alopecia. And I often think it's because I didn't have people to talk to, you know? Yeah, it's hard because we can think that and think maybe it would have been easier. But I know for even myself, like because of the grieving in it. And like when you're, you're younger and you lose it, I had no idea what was going on. All I knew is I had some like pretty intense, like suppressed denial and anger about it. Yeah. And I wouldn't nothing to do with anyone else who had alopecia because all we're told is that we have to fix it get rid of it it makes us weird and so while I was like outwardly like I don't care inwardly I was like ew this makes me kind of weird and gross right my parents would always ask me like do you want to go to an AF conference do you want to do this do you want to do that and I'd be like no why would I want to do that and so I think it's easy to think like oh maybe if I have found this earlier but some people, you know, in the beginning, sometimes we're not even ready yet to like have community. Like it's sometimes that part even takes time to even meet people who have it because all we, in the beginning, usually we're just trying so hard to get rid of it. The thought of leaning in and like meeting other people is like, no, why am I going to do that? I want to get out of this community as fast as possible. Like I don't want to. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I kind of was the same way. I, I honestly, now that I'm hearing you talk about it too. Like when you first were like, absolutely not. I don't want any, anything to do with anybody that has hair loss. I didn't even say hair loss. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't even say that word. I would just say alopecia, but I, I would barely talk about it. I wouldn't let anybody bring it up. The few, the four people that knew it was never like, don't talk to me about my dermatologist appointments. Don't talk to me about anything about it. Like it was a weird taboo thing for me. I didn't want, cause what if we talk about it and I lose my hair and you know, like I, I had right. alopecia brain the whole time. So man, it just goes to show you how important it is to have someone to talk about it though. Cause then if right. you don't, you're just kind of just fighting off all the bad thoughts and all the craziness that has to do with alopecia. So yeah, it's something else. Another question for you is what would you say are the top three ways to help better or work on your mental health when it comes to hair loss and having those bad days? Well, I think the top three is going to be vary depending on like where you're at and what stage you're at in your journey and maybe the type of hair loss you have. So I don't know if I have like a top three, that's going to be a top three for everyone, but some like general tips is like one of my favorite things is neutrality. I think sometimes we get so caught up and if I don't think positively about this, then I must feel badly about it. And we forget that there's like the middle bridge of neutrality. Like there's not just negative and positive, like we can just be neutral about it. And sometimes we forget that, you know, sometimes I have people who would tell me like, I just like wish I could just look in the mirror and like love it or like see myself in a photo and like be in love. And sometimes we got to be more realistic with ourselves. Like that is obviously 
we all want to be able to like look at photos and like be like I feel I feel good right but sometimes we also need to give ourselves like some bridging steps to that and know that if we just feel nor negative nor positive and we can just look at it and simply just look at ourselves existing and you know if it's a photo remembering the moment and what it was like to be there rather than like nitpicking ourselves apart that in itself is a win (laughs) um and so sometimes neutrality and like there's this one version of of mirror exposure therapy we do a lot for like body image work and it's using you know basically looking at colors shapes forms and functions to describe so like neutrally describing something I always say is like a great intervening point if you find yourself just picking Hmm. yourself apart um so like I'm can describe my head right now in the way that I'm talking about it so I would say like I see a tan oval about four inches from the top of that oval I see two almond shapes that have a brown circle in the middle those help me see the world in between them I see a triangular pyramid that has two kind of holes at the bottom and that helps me smell so it's like you literally taking all judgment off the table you cannot get any any more neutral than shapes colors forms and functions and so there's a lot more that goes into it but I sometimes just like to use it as like a quick intervention point at like I'm picking myself apart right now let me describe what I see not what I think I see yeah Um, it kind of like stops you from all of the negative stuff that you're throwing at yourself so it kind of like puts a block there where you just kind of see yourself as is but in like a super yeah I like that a lot yeah it's I got like becoming a non-judgmental observer like you just be observing like sometimes we just need to allow ourselves to do that and that is just as beneficial as thinking positively in the body image world we say good body image is actually the absence of like thinking about our bodies like if you are constantly preoccupied with positive body thoughts and I have to check to make sure you look good and all these things that is starting to lean on the side of negative body image and so also putting that into context as well as like good body image does not mean 24 seven positive body thoughts. If there's 24 seven positive thoughts, that is too much preoccupation with your body during the day. We want to think good. Yeah. Like the absence of thoughts, not more. That's why neutrality is great. And why I love it for, you know, alopecia. I first one. <laughs> um, second is I would say we, a big theme is like black and white thinking, catastrophizing, and it's so hard. Like I would say, we can't stop a thought from coming up. We're a human being. We're not robots, right? But yeah. we do have control of what we do after the thought comes up. And so we can, you know, let it spiral, right? And then we get to these worst case scenarios, start predicting things that like are, who knows, like what's really true or reality or not. It's not just to take a pause. Like I would say, it's like, if you notice, if you can start becoming aware of like the initial popcorn kernel before it spirals into a huge popcorn, um, which is like, <laughs> the, that's the way I like to help people look at it. Like you can't stop like the first one from popping but if we can notice it before it like keeps going that's a win so just like building awareness around sort of those thought patterns even journaling around it too like noticing any triggers that make you more vulnerable to black and white thinking or to catastrophizing and once you kind of get more awareness around when it these things come up you can notice like when you're in more vulnerable positions to almost like help yourself prep like okay I'm going to be in a social setting I notice this is when these thoughts come up often like what can I do to help myself in these situations and looking at it that way so awareness building in general an amazing first step for anything I love that that's mm-hmm. so great. I know. I often think like in regards to wigs, whenever I don't wear like a beanie or anything, there has been a couple of times where I catch people like going from my eyes mm-hmm. right up to like my hairline mm-hmm. and then going back down and I just get a sheer panic yeah. and I kind of blank out of the conversation that I'm having 
and I forget what we were even talking about. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they just look at my wig. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like this huge yeah. thing. And, and I'll, I mean, I'm public about my alopecia, but it's just, I don't know. It just brings me back to like day one alopecia where yeah. I was, it was just noticed that I had hair loss. So the conversation I feel like in my head, this is my own thought mm-hmm. process is I think, oh, well, now it's about, now they're just thinking about my hair loss. Now they're just thinking, oh, she's wearing a wig and they, the mm-hmm. conversation is gone. You've got to get out of this situation. That is like, I don't know how to get past stuff like that because I quickly try and get out of that conversation then and leave, yeah. go talk yeah. to somebody else or something. So that in itself is hard for me to process and try and like, I, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing, like you said, you take steps to get yourself ready and I do it every time. I'm like, okay this person could possibly look at my wig line and notice I'm wearing a wig and you're going to be fine. You're just going to push through it every time. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and being able to have those moments without judging or shaming yourself is important too. Right. Cause yeah. well, I'm always saying like, you're a human, you're not a robot. You cannot expect perfection of yourself in these situations all the time. Right. Like, yes, we can build up our emotion regulation skills and our distress tolerance skills. And we could do all those things, but that doesn't mean it's going to work hundred percent of the time and that you're never going to feel high emotion, high intensity emotion ever again. Right. Um, and so, you know, I would say when those moments happen, like being like, yeah, that was really hard. And yeah. it's a really difficult moment for me. And because this is something that's still shamed in the world, I rightfully felt upset and so it's okay that like I had a moment where like I freaked out and I just wanted to get out of there which is a perfect sort of segue into I think my third favorite thing which is when it comes to because obviously I work in the therapy world with like all sorts of things and then I work specifically people with hair loss and as who also has anxiety like differentiating like you know more generalized anxiety or like OCD or other types of anxiety disorders versus anxiety rooted in hair loss is so crucial to differentiate the two So when it comes to anxiety rooted in hair loss, this is like my formula I use to kind of determine like my capacity to handle sort of social settings, people staring, looking, all these sorts of things, which is different than how you would deal with something with like an anxiety disorder. So I just like to make that differentiation that like this should not be used unless it's for anxiety rooted in hair loss. So if I'm having like a particularly bad day, for me, the grocery store is the worst of the worst. And that's where I get a lot of my sort of more social anxiety from my hair loss. And obviously I need food. That's a priority task that like, I can't just like go weeks ignoring that. So, you know, step one being what, if I'm having a bad day, like what is my capacity to handle if this were to happen today? If I'm like, it's at a zero, can't do it. Then I'm like, okay, what's the priority of this task? Like, is it necessary? Do I need to do it today? If it's groceries? Yeah, I got to do it today. I don't really have anything left. Okay. I'm at a zero. My capacity is not there, but I have to do this. I can prep for now. If someone's going to stare and make a comment, what is my ability to respond? Do I feel like I'm able to respond today? Do I feel like I'm going to have to say, no, thank you. Or here's my Instagram, or this is what it's called. Look it up. Yeah. (laughs) I would need to give a very short answer and that's okay. We don't really owe anyone an explanation. So if my capacity is low and I don't think I can handle that, I will kind of prep my response before it in my head of what I would feel comfortable saying that day. Because I say with, you know, hair loss, anxiety, a lot of it is rooted in reality. Obviously, sometimes we have catastrophizing black and white thinking, all that stuff. But the chance of someone staring at me or making comment is not out of the ordinary. 
good enough shot that it can or can't happen. Like I would say flip of a coin 50-50. And so prepping in that way is not unrealistic or not overdoing it versus like when it comes to certain anxiety disorders, that is not often the best route to like sometimes engage with the thinking in this way. But when it comes to hair loss, it's very much a real possibility that something like this could happen and it's okay to to prep for these things. So it's kind of like, what's my capacity? Yeah. What's the priority of this task? Do I need to do it today? If my capacity is very low and if I do need to do it, well, how can I plan ahead in a way that I can make myself feel a little bit more comfortable? It's not going to be perfect, right? Because again, can't make it all the feelings go away. And then also planning for like, when I get back, that if something were to happen, like, okay, what can I, what self-care can I do when I get home? For me, that's usually like hot bath, my (laughs) (laughs) go-to. Vegging out and watching a reality TV, like whatever it is. So that is also, you know, my third kind of overarching tip when it comes to anxiety related to hair loss in social settings. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, me included, like if anybody were to bring up my hair loss or I'm waiting for that moment and I'm such a people pleaser that I'm scared that if I'm mm-hmm. not ready to entertain it, I'm going to anyway, because I want to people mm-hmm. please. And I want to be like, I want to make this person feel comfortable and then make myself uncomfortable. So yeah. that's like a whole nother level to it too, where I'm like, okay, yeah. if I do plan to be like, nope, I don't want to deal with anybody bringing it up. I'm still probably going to be like, oh, sure, I'll tell you all about it, (laughs) even though at that moment I wouldn't want to, you know, so people pleasing, that's a whole hurdle. Yes. You know, a lot of it is skill building with this stuff, which is like the main part of the the Reclaim Alopecia Roadmap program I made. Like the majority of it is this like skill building process because it is really hard. It's like you're covering people, please myself. It took me just to build up to like get to the place of like if someone like when I was in New York City living there a couple years ago, I had someone on the street be like, can I ask you a question? And like, you could tell when you have alopecia, like what they mean. Yeah. And I should know. And I kept walking, but it took yeah. me years to build up to that. And like years of practice and prepping myself. So you I prefaced all it. these sort of skills that like, yes, I would say like simple does not mean easy. Something can yeah. be sim- sound very simple, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. So all 100%. these tips that I'm talking about, I want to make sure exactly like what you're talking about of, oh, yeah. yeah much harder in practice. Oh yeah. Like sound great on paper (laughs) might be very hard to do outside in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. But they're great tips though, because even myself, there's sometimes that I get kind of caught up in that moment or I don't really know how to work through it. So it's Mm -hmm. all always such great stuff to get to know um, coming from a professional, you know? That was the first part of the two-part alopecia and mental health with Allison Mann. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you keep an eye out for part two. Bye.